0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Father, we want to thank you for this wonderful passage today which speaks to us of the person of Jesus. And we just pray that this morning you will help us to really feed on your word and to grow in faith because we know of who Jesus is. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Do you ever struggle to understand something? Uh, You know, I think for many of us, we've left school for quite a while now, and maybe some of you have never struggled to understand anything. Uh, But you know, I remember when I was in school. There's some subjects which you just struggle with. You know, you know, it's the ones where you have to get extra tuition, or you know, the ones that you have to go and ask the teacher afterwards for remedial classes. You know, but you know, when you're in school, it's pretty good because after a while, you realise, you know, if I'm no good at maths. Well, it's okay, I'll do humanities, right? You know, if I'm no good in the literature, I can always do computer science, and you can always do something else. Uh, but the problem is that when it comes to God, when we struggle to understand the person of Jesus, it's not as if you know we can move on to something else. And I think that's why today's passage is really helpful, because today's passage, in many ways, helps us to really understand who Jesus is. Uh, It really helps us to get a grasp of who Jesus is. Now, it begins today with uh, a very strange account, which I think many people really don't quite understand, which is the transfiguration. So what happens is, uh, Jesus, after six days, takes with him three of his disciples, only three, Peter, James, John, and the brother James, they led them up, he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And in verse 2 it says, There he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Now something remarkable happened that day on the mountain top and what happened to Jesus was that he was transfigured, Uh, literally is the idea of how Jesus was transformed. Uh, it wasn't like, you know, he changed his hairstyle or he grew a beard. He was literally transformed. The word he had transfigured is the word metamorphosis. Okay, so it's like he, Jesus changed like a caterpillar changed to a butterfly or a tadpole changed into a frog, right? Like his change was dramatic. And what happened to him? Well, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Now, I think for uh, the writers, uh, for Matthew, for the disciples, the brightest source of light that they have ever seen before is the sun. And on that day, when they saw Jesus, they were at lost to how to describe Jesus in our language. right? So they resorted to metaphor. Well, you know, Jesus, he was like the sun. He was like light. And for the Jew reading this passage, or hearing of what happened that day on the top of the mountain, it would be very clear that Jesus had transfigured into the identity of God, the divine himself. You see, if you look in um in this passage here, in the book of Exodus, right? Uh, when Moses met with God, what happened? When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, He was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given them on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the Israelites what he had been commanded. They saw his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Now what happened to Moses? Did he have sunburn? Right? You know, too much sun? No, it's because of the radiance of meeting the glory of God, right? Bright as sunshine, that his face was radiant. So, in the same way, I think as we read about the transfiguration of Jesus, basically the transfiguration is it is a revelatory transfiguration. It reveals the true identity of Jesus as God, as divine. Because you know if you think about it in all the other miracles that Jesus had done you know yes okay you know he walked on water he fed the 5000 with just you know five loaves and two fish but they don't really show him as who he really is at the transfiguration he reveals himself as God he he's shining like the sun now in verse 3 we then read of how just then in verse 3 they appeared before the Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Now this doesn't happen by accident, right? But Moses and Elijah represent somebody. Uh, now, now, obviously, for us as the Singaporeans, there's no emotive or heartfelt, you know, recognition of who they really are. Yeah, okay, Moses and Elijah. But I guess the Singaporeans, if I to, to say to you, okay, you no, know, what does Lee Kuan Yew represent, or who does? Go King Sui represent, oh, they represent like different things, right? So Lee Kuan Yew represents like the founding prime minister of Singapore. Go King Sui represents like the founding architect of Singapore. In the same way, Moses and Elijah represent something in Israel's history. For Moses was the one who brought the law to Israel, right? When you think of Moses, you think of the person who brings the law when you think of Elijah, he was like the, the prophet right? above the other prophets in many ways. Uh, Moses, it tells us in Deuteronomy, was the model of all the prophets that were to come in Deuteronomy chapter 18. He said, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And Elijah was seen to be the forerunner of the coming of the Lord. So when Moses and Elijah appear together with Jesus at that mountaintop on that day, it wasn't just because, you know, Jesus needed more company. It was because Moses and Elijah represent something and they are endorsing and pointing to Jesus, right? So it's almost as if the law and the prophets or the prophets and the forerunner are pointing to Jesus and saying, this is the one whom we are waiting for. This is the one that you should be Looking towards. So the first sign really is the transfiguration, right? The visual representation of Jesus. The second is Moses and Elijah. But there's a third sign, right? Because in verse five, as if that wasn't enough, in verse five, while Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, whom I love with him. I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Now, the cloud here is not the haze. Okay, the cloud here is like the divine presence of God. Okay, now we've seen this before in One Kings chapter eight, uh, when the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service before because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple well in the same way here in verse 5 the bright cloud covered the disciples and a voice was heard from heaven this is my son right with whom i'm well pleased now if the transfiguration was the visual sign then here we have the audible sign right we hear a voice from heaven and this is voices saying this is god's son Right, this is kind of like, you know, together with the transfiguration and the voice from heaven, it comes together and it shows us why is it Jesus is being revealed as God. He shines like the sun, his his clothes are white like light because he is God's son. He's divine in every way. Now, actually if you pay attention to the story so far we've been following in Matthew, You see that this is not the first time that God has spoken from heaven, right? Because in chapter 3, the next slide, when Jesus was baptized, God also spoke from heaven. And if you notice, it's exactly the same words, right? Can you see the, the, the words? It's exactly the same. But there's one difference. Jesus, sorry, not Jesus, God adds three more words. Can you see what the three words are? Listen to Him, right? Listen to Him. And I think this is where the application of this transfiguration is coming through, right? If God is among us in the person of Jesus, if He is the Son of God, then what must we do? We must listen to Jesus. Now, uh, when my kids were younger, I used to try to put them to sleep uh, every night possible. So what we will do is, you know, I'll lie down in the bed and we'll read a story, a Bible story, or, you know, something or other. Then uh, we would all sleep together and sometimes I'd fall asleep as well. And, uh, and I remember one night I was lying there waiting for the kids to fall asleep. And then I hear this voice speaking in the darkness, right? Saying, Hey, Dad, i got a question, right? I said, Okay, what's the question? All right, Why is it so important to follow Jesus? You know, how is he different from the other religious leaders? You know, what makes Jesus so special? And that's a very, very important question, right? I mean, it's a question that shows that kids are thinking about Jesus, right? So what is the answer? What is the answer that you will give your kids? Well, according to to the transfiguration, why do we follow Jesus? Why do we listen to Jesus? Because he is God. God. Because He is the Son of God. You know, you can think of all the other religious leaders out there, all the other religions, none of them have been transfigured. None of them declare themselves to be the the Son of God. None of them show themselves, right, shining bright like the sun. So Jesus, because He is God, because He is the Son of God, we need to Listen to Him. He is the one that we listen to. It's a very sad reality because I remember meeting people in churches who actually have never really recognized that Jesus is really God. They may say, yeah, yeah, you know, Jesus is, uh, you know, He's the Christ. But I remember someone actually saying to me, oh, Jesus is really God. I never knew that. But He is really, really God. I mean, if you think of the Jehovah's Witnesses, right? There are 7 million Jehovah's Witnesses around the world today, probably still growing. They don't believe that Jesus is really God. And I was reading an article by an ex-Jehovah's Witness, and they said part of the reason why so many people go from being Christians to Jehovah's Witness is because they don't know their Bibles well. And as a result, they don't recognize that Jesus is God, so they are taken in by the Jehovah's Witnesses. So why do we have the transfiguration recorded for us? Why do we have the voice from heaven recorded for us? Why do we have Moses and Elijah recorded for us? It is so that we will be clear that Jesus is God and He is the Son of God. We must listen to Him. Now, the passage then goes on in verse 9 to 13. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer, at their hands then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about john the baptist now immediately after the transfiguration jesus tells them that he must uh, not tell anybody until he has been raised from the dead the disciples are very very disturbed by what he is saying because they don't understand what he is saying they just saw Jesus as God, now he, he's saying, I'm going to die, and be raised, from the dead, that's why, they asked the question, right, uh, the next slide, okay, why then, okay, you need to click once, right, yeah, why then, do they say, that Elijah must come first, because, in their thinking, when Elijah comes to prepare the way for the Christ, as we read here in this passage, Elijah will restore everything. He will restore true worship to God. He will restore true justice. He will restore the true kingdom of God. He will prepare the way for the Lord. Now, if Elijah comes to restore everything and make everything great again, right, not make America great again, but prepare the way for the Lord, right, then how can God's son, the Christ, die? And suffer and then rise again. It just doesn't make sense, right? But Jesus says, Elijah has come. John the Baptist has come. John the Baptist is the Elijah figure. He has come, and what happened to Elijah? He's not been recognized, he suffered, and he had his head cut off. He suffered, he died. That's it. And Jesus says, in the same way, this is what will happen to me. I will not be recognized, I will suffer, and I too will die. But there is a difference, right? Because the Elijah person, John the Baptist, dies and doesn't rise from the dead. But Jesus dies and rises again. Now, I need you to focus for a while and really concentrate because there is a clue as to what is going to happen in the voice from heaven. So if you go back again the next slide, Jesus, when he was there being transfigured, what did God say? What did God say? This is my son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Now, I don't think that these words are just kind of like random words that God just, you know, chose, right? But actually, when you look at them, they actually reference back to the Old Testament. So, this is my son, uh, the, actually comes from Psalm chapter 2, which is what you read for your responsive reading. And it's a, it's a messianic psalm. It's a psalm about how God will send His Son, who will be King. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord, He said to me, You are my Son. Today I become your Father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. But, the second part of the um, what God says actually comes from Isaiah chapter 42, which says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight, or whom I am well pleased. But the Isaiah passage actually comes from the passage about the suffering servant, the one who will die, the one who will suffer, the one who will take on the sins of the world. Right, Because in Isaiah chapter 53, this suffering servant, it is said, yet it is the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer, though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering. He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. Now, you have to go home and think about it a bit more. You have to reflect on what I'm saying. But what it's really saying is when you put Psalm chapter 2 and Isaiah chapter 42 together, the picture is of God, Son, who is King, who at the same time suffers and dies, but later will see the light of life. So, What Jesus is actually saying to the disciples is actually all here in the Old Testament. He's saying, yes, He is God. Yes, He will suffer just like Elijah. But yet, He will rise from the dead. Now, for the disciples, it's very hard for them to understand and grasp this. I mean, even for ourselves, even after for us, you know, for those people like us who have lived after the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, it's it's amazing. Can you imagine God suffers, And dies, and then rises again. You know, for, for the Jew, it's like, it blows their mind, right? How can God die? If you die, you can't be God. And if you die, how can you rise again? But that's exactly what this passage is saying here. It's saying that Jesus is saying that even though now He's been transfigured, He shows you who He really is. He will suffer, He will die, and He will rise again. Now, uh, just last Monday, we had a gathering of uh, overseas uh, Christian students from uh, Sydney, and Joshua Ng actually was in town just for one day, and he met up with some of us. And uh, he was telling us about how his father in law was now slowly becoming more open to becoming a Christian. Now, for those of you who don't know, actually, Joshua Ng's father in law is a Jew. He's a Jewish man, and uh, his His past is really fascinating. I remember talking to him about it one day. He was actually in a family in Hungary as a Jew when Hitler uh, invaded Hungary. His family was actually in a line on the way to the trains to take them to the concentration camp when um, a tenant of his father, uh, who was a good man, pulled him out of the line and saved the whole family, and they escaped to go to Australia. So, one of the struggles that he has with um, with understanding the person of Jesus, and this is what Joshua Ng told us on Monday, is he's asking the question, how can Jesus die? Right? Because, you know, I guess you know when you have relatives and friends die in the concentration camp, you can't understand how Jesus allows himself to die. And that's the same struggle I think the disciples have. But yet, as we understand the person of Jesus, he doesn't just die and remain in the grave. He dies in order to rise again, just as God predicted in Isaiah. He is the suffering servant who is at the same time Christ and God. He suffers for his people to bring them forgiveness of sins. Now, after this tremendous experience on the mountain, uh, as we've seen over and over again in Matthew, uh, we now come to the disappointment of the disciples, right? So in verse 14, it says, you know, when they came to the crowd, so think of it, okay, Jesus and his three disciples come down now, and the rest of the nine disciples are all down on the base. A man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I put up? Shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, nothing will be impossible for you. Now, if you notice the title of... Uh, your Bibles, I don't know, my title in my NIV says, Jesus heals a demon-possessed boy. Right? I don't know if that's your title in your Bible, or whether your titles even your handphone. But I think that's a bad title. Right? Because actually, that's not the point of this section. The point of this section is not that Jesus heals the boy. The point of this section is that the disciples cannot heal the boy. Right? It's actually the non-healing of the boy, right? not the healing of the boy. It's the non-healing of the boy. And that's why Jesus is so frustrated. He's not frustrated, I think, so much with the crowd. He doesn't say, oh, you know, um, why couldn't we heal it? Because the man has so little faith, right? That's why you couldn't heal it. He's angry because the disciples have so little faith. Because in chapter 10, which we read uh, many weeks ago, Jesus had given his power to the disciples, so that they could heal. right? He called the twelve disciples to him. And what did he do? He gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Okay, So we know the names of the disciples. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go out among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel, As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Now, therefore, when we read where Jesus says, you wicked and perverse, I'm believing a perverse generation. He's not really scolding the crowd, right? He's kind of like looking at the disciples when he's saying this. He's sort of saying, how long do I have to be with you? How many signs do I have to show you? How how many times do I have to promise you? The problem wasn't with Jesus. The problem was with the disciples. Their inability to believe the power of Jesus and to accept the promise of Jesus. Now, this is a very important point, right? Because uh, when Jesus says to them, if you only have a faith like a mustard seed uh you can move mountains he's not talking to you or to me right he's not saying oh you know if we only have faith we should be able to heal everybody in our congregation right we you know we could save a lot of money on medical fees he's actually speaking to the disciples because the disciples have the power of Jesus and the promise of Jesus but yet they don't have enough faith in order to accept the power of Jesus and the promise of Jesus to heal this poor boy. They can cast out the demon, they can heal, but they do neither. And I think that's a very important lesson for us because we have seen the power of Jesus as we read the book of Matthew. We have heard the promises of Jesus as we have read the, the book of Matthew. So what is our response? Our response must be, the response of faith, right? When we hear, when we see these things, what is the right response? Faith. So, I don't know why today I, I seem to be going through our past church camp speakers, right? So anyway, Joshua Ng, I remember. So, you remember Rich Orr, this guy Rich Or many years ago, he came and preached at our church camp. I think some of the older, older people remember, right, Rich Orr? So he was a pastor at the uh, Street and he preached in our church camp many years ago. Anyway, now he's in America. He's still uh, doing Christian work. He works among uh, Chinese mainland students in uh, some small town in America, which you'll never go to as a tourist because it's not a tourist town. Um, anyway, his dad is like in the 90s and he's very old. and he's, He fell down and now he's in hospital and he's dying of pneumonia. So just this week I got a Prayer letter from Ridge and his wife Connie, right? So this is what the prayer letter said. It said last Thursday night, Ridge's father had a dream that appears to have changed his heart. When Rich went to visit on Friday, his father greeted him with a thought about heaven, and then the two of them talked and talked about spiritual matters for over an hour. To our great amazement, Dad agreed with everything Ridge said about the gospel. He told Rich, I always thought you were crazy, but now I know you are right. I found God. His heart is so tender and he's hungry for scripture for the first time in his life. Rich has thoroughly enjoyed spending the, last, the past four days with him. His eyes are too weak for him to read himself, so Rich has been reading to him and explaining the passages one at a time. His father says, Wow, I never knew that. He knows that lots of people have been praying for him and he's very grateful. It's an amazing gift to us. Now, I think the key for me when I read this passage was when he said, wow, I never knew this, right? But I, I think that's a very important thing, isn't it? Because it is not enough to have an interest about Jesus. It's not enough to have a curiosity about Jesus. You need to know about Jesus. When you know about Jesus, then that's where faith flows, isn't it? So just as in this passage, when you know the power of Jesus, when you know the promises of Jesus, then then the only thing that must happen now is faith. Uh, To not have faith is to be unbelieving, wicked, and perverse. So in the same way as we read these passages, as we hear of Jesus, we hear of the transfiguration, it must encourage us in our faith. It must help us grow in our faith. Now verse 24 We come to another disappointing thing for the disciples. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the tax collectors of the two Drakma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. "Uh, What do you think, Simon? he asked. For whom do the kings of the earth collect duties and taxes, from their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open his mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and for yours. Now, it's very dangerous, right, when you are a disciple of Jesus. Because, you know, Jesus is listening all the time. Peter's out there talking and Jesus knows what's happening right. Anyway, so um someone comes to Peter and says, "You know, do you pay this tax?" <coughs> Excuse me. And this tax is actually uh, not a Roman tax, okay? And it's a free will tax in many ways. It's not it's not imposed by the Roman authorities and it's like a good thing. It's a bit like <coughs> the difference between you paying taxes to the Singapore government and you giving offering, right? Uh, you know, when you, when you give offering, it's like, you know, if you don't give, we don't come in, a, uh, 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 you know, next week say, oh, you didn't pay, so we're going to give you a penalty offering this week, right? So it's actually a, a, a good thing. It's to give money for the upkeep of the temple. So someone comes up to Peter and says, you know, is Jesus going to pay? And Peter, as usual, gets it wrong and says, yes, of course. Jesus is paying. Jesus somehow supernaturally knows what Peter said. And he asks him, in a sense, a parable. Right? He says, Do the royal kings of the earth collect duty and taxes from their own children or from other people's children? Now, obviously, if you're the king and you have children, you don't collect taxes from your own children, you collect taxes from the people in your kingdom, right? It's a bit like, okay, let's say you're a Kei, right? And uh, you have many homes, you don't collect rent from your children living in your own house, you collect rent from the people living outside. And what Jesus is saying is actually fundamentally profound, right? Because he's saying that because he belongs to the Father, he's God's Son, as we've heard from the voice in heaven, so, theoretically, logically speaking, he does not pay tax to his father. Only those who are outside the family of God, in a sense, pay tax for the upkeep of the temple. And I think that that's why this is recorded for us, right? I mean, we, we read this passage, yeah, we don't really understand what's happening. But fundamentally, it's really profound, right? Jesus is saying, because I, I, of, God's family, I'm like, he's my father, I'm the son. I don't have to pay temple tax. Again, it's a revelation of his identity. He is really God's son. But yet, as we read this passage, Jesus pays the tax. Now, this is something that I want you to think about. right? Why does Jesus bother to pay the tax when he doesn't have to? Well, the answer says here is because Jesus doesn't want to offend them. Right, he doesn't want to offend them, right? Uh next slide, right? Um yeah, he doesn't want to offend them. But the question is, hey, but you know, you've been reading through the book of Matthew all along. Jesus has been offending people left, right, and center, right? He's a very offensive person to many, many people. He offended so many people that they want to kill him, right? So, you know, we read here in Matthew 15 that he purposely offended and needled The Pharisees so much that you know they got really upset with him right they asked him this question about you know hand washing and unclean and clean food and Jesus blew it up into this big theological thesis about you know what is clean and unclean and where the spiritual authority come from and he offended the Pharisees and he went on to offend them even more right In verse 13, every plant that my family father has planted will be pulled up by the root. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man meets a blind man, both will fall into a pit. So the question that we kind of like have to ask ourselves is, hey, how come Jesus offended all these people? Now now he's such a nice guy, right? He doesn't want to offend people anymore. I think it's because Jesus here, remarkably, even though he is God and the Son of God, he's willing to humble himself to pay the tax so that he will not offend uh, these tax collectors. Now, if we think about it a bit more, and uh, we don't have a whole sermon to go through it, it's actually a very profound attitude. right? Jesus is basically saying when there is a salvation issue at stake, he'll be willing to offend everybody in order to be very clear what is the right way of living for everybody in the kingdom of heaven. If it, if it involves everybody else, if it involves a theological issue which has salvation implications, Jesus will offend anybody to be clear. right? Because he was trying to say, look, what makes you unclean is what comes from inside, not from your food or hand washing. But when it affects only Jesus, he doesn't mind, in a sense, humbling himself. He's a humble Christ. He's a humble God humble son of God who is willing to humble himself and pay the tax so as not to offend the tax collectors. And I think that another point is actually the tax collectors were not like the Pharisees. They were not out to trap Jesus. They were not out to test Jesus. They were actually just asking Jesus true Peter to pay for what was a good thing, a right thing. So Jesus didn't want to offend these innocent tax collectors, because in in a way, by stumbling them, he would stop them from coming into the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus actually displays great humility, but not just great humility, but great love for people by humbling himself so that these tax collectors would not be offended and stumbled in terms of the kingdom of heaven. So in conclusion, as we look at these, I guess, three sections they're quite dense and difficult, but actually when you spend your time looking at them, they, they unveil and open up the identity of Jesus, right? He is God. He is the Son of God. He is humble. He is loving. He wants people to be safe. So what should we do? You need to listen to Him, and we need to have faith. So remember, many years ago, I saw a cartoon in Easter time somewhere, I think, and I can never find a cartoon now even on Google. But it was really funny because it was like, uh, it was, maybe it was because of some church publication. But there was this, uh, a figure there, right? And he's shouting up to the, to the sky and he says, God, give me a sign, right? Give me a sign. Just anything will do, just give me a sign. And then you see, uh, this hand with a big hammer. And he, the hammer comes and bangs and squashes the guy flat on the ground, right? In the cartoon. And then the, the next panel, the guy standing up and he looks up to heaven and he says up to heaven again, he says, Anything God, any sign will do, right? I just want a sign, anything will do, right? And as I, so I was looking at the cartoon, it, it, you know it, it, it reminded me of its relevance to this passage, right? Because God has already shown His clear sign to us. Right, The, the transfiguration is there, the voice from heaven is there. Moses and Elijah is there. It's whether we listen to God, it's whether we respond with faith. Because Jesus is God who suffers and dies and rises again to take the iniquities of this world. God has sent him. He is humble and he is loving. So what we need to do is to listen to this Jesus and to have faith in him. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we really pray that you'll help us to understand your profound words today, that as the disciples witness these great things, they are meant for us to more and more grow in faith as we see the divinity of Jesus. We see His Sonship we see how he suffered and died and rose again and how as a result we must listen to him and we must grow in faith. We thank you too that Jesus is not arrogant or boastful or prideful, but rather he is willing to humble himself so as not to stumble people, not to offend them so that people can come into the kingdom of heaven. And we pray that we too, will never be stumbled by Jesus, but instead to love Him and to have faith in Him and thus enter the Kingdom of Heaven. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at btbc.sg.